want to talk. <laughs> I've been thinking about you and me. About how this is going to end. About who will end up killing who. Perhaps you'll kill me. Perhaps I'll kill you. You know that, don't you? Welcome, citizens of Gotham, to The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast focusing on all things The Dark Knight and his world. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and most often on Twitter, at TFRBatPod. And if you'd like to engage with the show, you have thoughts, questions, comments, maybe even suggestions for the show, which is going to come up in a few minutes, uh, you can send us an email at TFRBatPod at gmail.com. My name is Eric Carter, and I am your host, and I have not one but two guests joining me today. We are discussing another Batman anniversary, and joining me to do so, you've heard him almost every time on this show, it's Joe Fornerato. Joe, what's up, buddy? How you doing? I'm doing well, Eric. Thank you for having me on again. Um, looking forward to another great episode talking about... Um, hopefully something that we're going to try to keep positive <laughs> we uh we will endeavor to do so yeah. and uh also joining us for the very first time mr jared boots jared how are you hey guys thanks for having me you know what to call me mr jared boots that's my father's name <laughs> well you know i try to keep it formal at least the first time <laughs> Uh, well, Jared, um, I mentioned when I was plugging the email that we, you know, we encourage suggestions for the show and things like that. And that is why you're here today, because you actually reached out to me and you suggested uh, this episode or not this particular episode specifically, but something involving this story. So that is why you're here. So thank you for reaching out and actually suggesting a show. 
Oh, you're very welcome. And I, you're putting it very polite because I thought I might have annoyed you into submission to get me on. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I actually, uh, I was very glad that you did because uh, when I first started that this show on the very first episode, I talked about wanting to engage. I want to talk about what other people want to talk about when it comes to Batman. So that was really cool to get get that first person reaching out and saying, hey, I'd like to talk about this. So, yeah, but... Before we dive into that story that you suggested today, um, this is your first time on the show. So briefly, if you could just give us your history and your connection with the character of Batman. Well, I think I'm like both of you guys. I I was uh, born in the early to mid 80s, so I grew up with Batman, the animated series as a child. Uh, but I want to say my first exposure to Batman might either have been reruns of Adam West or it might have been. So I have a hard time figuring out which film I saw first. It was either Batman Returns or it might have been Batman Forever because I was about 11 when Batman Forever came out. So that has been my history. But I knew, do know I was an avid watcher of uh, Batman animated series after school every day in the 90s. Very nice. Uh, Batman the Animated Series is always a good jumping on point. So that's a that's a great answer. But you reached out on Twitter, I believe, and you said, hey, man, if you ever want to uh, to talk about the killing joke, either the book or the movie, um, I'd, I'd love to come on and talk about that with you. So I did a little research and I found out, oh, you know what? The movie is actually turning five years old this year. So that is what we are here to discuss today. We are here to discuss the five-year anniversary of the controversial Batman The Killing Joke animated film from 2016. Now, <laughs> I guess uh, – and I guess you guys can speak to this a little bit. Was, was 2016 the year of controversial DC films? I don't think I realized that that was all the same year. <laughs> yeah, it was. It seems like these two things were very far apart, but it was only a few months. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll get into it, but yeah, just like Batman versus Superman, The Killing Joke, when released, was pretty controversial, and I can't wait to hear um, what you guys have to say about it. But I was looking back through uh, through some research today, and I had forgotten, we talked about it before we started recording, I had completely forgotten that this movie actually got a theatrical release. It was released um, officially during the 2016 San Diego Comic-Con on July 22nd of 2016. Is that the same day that it hit theaters, Joe and Jared? I feel like I saw it on a Monday. Um, okay. I don't remember the date. I know it was a Fathom event, and I think it was the first Fathom event that DC did mm -hmm. for these, um, you know, these straight to the video movies. And I'm trying to see if I could find it. It says July 25th, I guess. Okay, so the digital was the following day. So if the release date on the, the DVD was the 25th, so yeah, it was the Monday prior. So, mm. so Comic-Con was Saturday, and so that's where my story kind of starts, is the rumors swirled at Comic-Con of the scene, and the scene leaked on Monday before I got to see it in the theater. 
and you know the <laughs> the infamous scene that is is talked about and it's it's sad because i think it was um who who did the storyline with this uh brian azarello i think he did right he did this with um oh. him mm-hmm. and i believe he was quoted as saying at comic-con it was a controversial story so we figured let's go more controversial or something to that effect mm, and so that, that was a decision <laughs> yeah it was a and i think the comment bothered me more than the actual decision because it was kind of like so you didn't do it for a typical reason you didn't do it for a a um like a passion it was just ah we'll do it so and we can get more into all that but i I was so excited to see this in the theater. I, I thought it was such a cool idea that they were doing that. <laughs> they but, were so um, preoccupied with whether they could. <laughs> they didn't stop to think whether they should. <laughs> yeah, that's that's for sure. Now, uh, so Jared, when you asked Eric to cover this, were you leaning more towards the book or the movie? Like, do you prefer one or the other or... Um, I actually prefer the book because if I'm not mistaken, I reached out to Eric right after I listened to your guys' episode on The Long Halloween. Okay. So, yeah, now you guys were talking about The Long Halloween. Like, well, my favorite book is The Killing Joke. So uh, if you ever want to discuss that, I'm your man. So, yeah, that was leaning more towards the book. And I originally reached out to Eric, but I was not um, – I didn't have a strong preference either way. Uh, I'll talk about The Killing Joke movie too as well, so – well, I'll make a deal with you, Jared. Since I uh, since I shoehorned you into doing the movie first, I promise that when we cover the book, and we will, I will get you back on to talk about that one. All righty, it's documented now. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, we'll probably get into the book a little bit here anyway, because I think there are a lot of, there are, not a lot, there are a couple things even in the movie part of this Um, I'm sorry, in the comic book adaptation part of this that I felt like they added that, again, were just kind of useless additions that weren't in the book. And it it just, again, made it gave me a bad taste in my mouth when they when they did certain things. Mm -hmm. And we will get into that. But, um, yeah, the reason I asked is because if you look at the actual poster um for the for the fathom events it's a special one night event in select cinemas july 25th i don't think that's accurate though because in my research um and i actually i'm gonna um reference holy backcast here because a few days ago i listened back to their review episode on it Uh and um andy said it was a two night event i thought it was two yeah Hmm. So I don't think that that poster is accurate, but that's that's neither here nor there. I do know that they did very well with the um, showings in movie theaters. They actually made back their their budget for this movie with the with the two night event. Mm-hmm. So everything that they did once this uh, movie released digitally and on home media was pure profit. So regardless of what everyone thinks of the film, this was a profitable film. It did very well. And I think I want to say it it sold very well so far as physical media and digital. So and, and I think maybe that speaks more to the iconography of the story rather than the movie itself. 
Well, Which, people were excited to see it, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. This was a big deal. Yeah. And, and Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy talked about doing this film for years. And I believe both of them, at least Hamill, said this was going to be like their swan song if they ever did it. I honestly, yes. And and we're going to get into that too, but I think that may have stuck had this been received better. Yes. But, um, yeah. Well... Without talking about the uh, the opening the opening any further, let's talk about the memories because I did not get to go out to the Fathom events, but I know that you guys both did. So I'd like to hear about that. Um, Jared, you are the you are the guest of the night. So tell us about seeing this movie for the first time. Well, let's see. I, just funny enough, that a couple of days ago, it just popped up my memories on Facebook that I just bought my ticket for this event. Not just a few days ago so um excellent timing for this episode <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah i do remember the announcement at comic-con that year was it a year before when they announced at comic-con that it was coming i don't recall it either is the year before at comic-con or at new york comic-con sometimes they announce the stuff to coincide with new york for the following year because new york is in october they don't really have a big presence at New York, but sometimes that's when they announce everything. Well, I do remember it being announced at one of the Comic-Cons and just being so freaking excited because it is my favorite story of all time. And just counting down the days, um, I believe I was able to avoid the scene being leaked because I just wanted to go in completely spoiler-free, watching the trailer, getting even more amped to see this film. And buying my ticket and just I bought the whole seat but I only needed the edge um, going into it I, I think it's probably the first Fathom event I ever went to and Joe I don't know about you but it's, wasn't uh, Kevin Conroy or Mark Hamill like a, did a special intro before the film showed so I'm trying to remember the order they had was it the documentary that was on the Blu-ray, it was like a retrospective of Mark Hamill being the Joker, I think. Was it before the movie or after? I want to say it was before. Okay. Yeah, and that would make sense. Like, I don't know why they would do it after. But yeah, so they had like a, a quick like 20-minute, 30-minute documentary before the film, which was cool to have. Like, I've never watched a, a documentary in a movie theater. So that was a cool uh, experience. And yeah, I was in the same boat as you, I was, I was excited. So like, it was, it was a cool experience and it was my first fathom event too. Is, is that the only time they've, is that the only DC film animated film they've done fathom events for too? No. So, so this one, because it was so successful, they did it for return of the Cape Crusaders. Um, mm-hmm. I went to that one. Oh yeah. And then I think they did it for two face. I'm not positive though. Uh, that one I'm not sure of, but I think they did it for Death and Return of Superman. The uh, they did the special for the like the three hour version of that. Yeah, they did do. They didn't do the individual releases, but they did do an event for the combined movie. Yeah, but I'm sure it, they've done more, but those are the ones that stand out to me. But speaking to to what you were saying about the success, I'm very surprised that they haven't done more of this. Um, especially with things like Batman Hush. I mean, regardless of the reception, that I think that would have 
done in a Fathom event similar to how, how this was done. I mean, I think it would have been a, a success for them um, well, unfortunately, just because Hush of the name. Out. I didn't hush come out during the pandemic. I think that was, did it? I thought it came out last year, didn't it? Or was it two years ago? Maybe. Might have been like late 2019. Oh, wow. So there have been so many of these movies. My timeline is all screwed up. You're probably right. Yeah. Which I think, um, I wonder with the long Halloween being as big of a story as it is, had the pandemic not been going on, I wonder if they would have done it for the long Halloween. Mm-hmm. Which well, they still s- not too late with uh, part two. Coming. Yeah. They still so, may with the combined film. You're not going to believe what the other one that they had one before was. <laughs> uh oh. They had one for Batman and Harley Quinn. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, they're so, I can't say much because it's, it's on my shelf next to The Killing Joke on my Blu ray rack, so I can't say much. <laughs> not to get into a whole tangent here, that's the, like the only Batman thing I don't own. I I own it, but it's just for completionist reasons, really. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I did not get to see the Fathom event. Um, I didn't see it in the theater because at the time in in North Carolina, where I was living at the time, we didn't get Fathom event films. I don't think we had a theater that that showed Fathom event films. So I had to wait, you know, like the rest of the. Like the rest of the general audience, I had to wait until uh, it came home. I don't think I got this one on digital. Because was there was there an early digital release for this one? And I, I don't remember. Because I thought that the digital... So that would explain... So they probably did the digital Tuesday, so you could go see it in the theater Monday or Tuesday. Mm-hmm. The digital was Tuesday, and then probably the disc was a week or two later but i i don't remember um but that would probably make the most sense okay yeah the film was released digitally on july 26th while the deluxe edition and combo pack was released on august 2nd okay so it was one week yeah so i did wait i i actually waited the week i went and got this um i can't remember where i got it but i have the steel book of this um, so yeah, the first time I saw it was at home and, uh, uh, well, before we get into reactions, I want to know for you guys that actually got to see the Fathom event, what was it like? What was the, the experience like going to see the, this movie on the big screen? Uh, theater was packed where I was at. So I've, I've heard a lot of that. I, yeah. Yeah. I'm in the, I'm in the middle of Midwest. Uh, Fairly sized town in the Midwest, and it was pretty theater. I was that was pretty packed. Yeah, I would say mine was at least seventy five percent full. And what was weird for me was like, for the fact of it meant just to give more credence to how successful this was, there were two showings at each theater. And when it first released tickets, the only theater that it was showing at was like a half hour from me, which isn't a big deal. I was going to go anyway, so I got those tickets. And then it opened up at the theater that's like 10 minutes from me. That's my normal theater. And they had two showings each night, too. So there, like every local theater near me had this event. So it wasn't like it was like, you know, every, you know, hour away or whatever they, they had, you know. Um, it wasn't like a selective thing. Like you could really go to any theater in my area. 
So, but I did drive to go see this, and unfortunately, my experience was it was nervousness because I was so excited to see this film, and then I succumbed to the leak on Monday, saw the scene out of context when it was leaked. Mm-hmm. Um, we keep dancing around the scene, but I'm sure everyone knows the scene is when, you know, Batman and uh, Batgirl have sex on the roof. And it's in the the first, I guess it's like Spoiler a Spoiler alert, Joe. I know. <laughs> it's in the first, what, half hour prologue? Yes. Yeah. Something like that, the first half hour of the film. And so it was leaked beforehand. I was nervous about seeing it, even though I knew it out of context. And then. It was, I think the the fun thing for me was seeing that documentary kind of relaxed me a little bit so I could, you know, just enjoy the event. Mm. And then the, the experience itself was, was weird waiting for that scene. But then once the, the actual film started, you know, the adaptation, I, I loved it. I, I really had a lot of fun seeing it in the theater and the Fathom event idea was really cool. And uh, like I said, I went to the next Fathom event they had. I don't know what made me not go to the rest of them. Uh, probably just, you know, busy with life at that point. I had, you know, kids when the when the rest of the Fathom events had uh, had happened. But I, it was a really cool experience to see an animated film for Batman on the big screen. So I'm sad that mm-hmm. you didn't get to see it, Eric. That would have been, I mean, despite what we might think of the film, it's still just really cool to go see a, an animated film on the big screen. Oh yeah. No. So I wish I had gotten that experience because just being there with a crowd, cause you know, the people who are going to see a Batman animated film, I mean, unless it's something like Lego Batman, someone, people who are going to go see a fathom event for a brand new DC animated film, it's all fans. Mm-hmm. So I would have loved to have gotten that experience because Similar to what you just said, I've heard several podcasts on this movie, and just about everybody that I've heard that went to the Fathom event and saw it in a theater has said they had a lot of fun with it the first night that they saw it, and then on repeated viewings is when it started to leave the bad taste, I guess. And I think that – I think – the reason for that is you're just so hyped up to see a Batman animated movie in the theater. You don't get that opportunity very often. So it's just like, it's just like an, almost an adrenaline surge that you get to do that. So you're, <laughs> I don't think you're actually looking at it from a critical eye when you go to an event like that. Yeah. At least I, I feel like you shouldn't. I mean, I, I just don't like being that guy. I want to just go to see something and, and have fun with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree. I think you said it perfectly. Uh, I was just so anxious in the big screen. I overlooked all the flaws that are in this film. And then I think it was probably when I, I also listened to Andy's episode on uh, on this too. And I think that's when the bad taste started to set in. When I started, when he took the lens, the fanboy lenses off, and all of a sudden the flaws just make themselves very apparent. And that's like you said, after multiple viewings is when the bad taste starts to set in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And unfortunately, again, I did not get that opportunity. So 
when I saw it at, at home for the first time, and now we can start getting into kind of uh, our thoughts on the film because not getting that experience, not being around fans, just watching it, just just me at home. Until we actually got to the part of the film that is an adaptation of the movie, the whole prologue, watching it at home, I was irritated the entire time up until we got to what we know and love as the killing joke. I was like, I hate this. Burn it with fire. (laughs) I was not happy whatsoever. And then going into what we know and love, I thought they did an admirable job of adapting the source material. So I I just, I I guess I don't understand why it was necessary to, to do what they did to pad a running time is, is my opinion, but I want to get you guys' thoughts on the film, not just um, now, but what you thought of it then and how your, your thoughts have progressed over the years. Go ahead. Jared, Jared, we'll start with you. Well, like I said, initial viewing in the theater, I just loved it. I saw nothing wrong with it until I started hearing other people point it out. So it, it has gotten to the point now where nine and a half times out of ten when I rewatch this film, I fast forward a good half hour into it before <laughs> I turn it on. <laughs> and... Like you said, I don't know why they did what they did with this prologue. I I can see because the the killing joke in itself is such a short story that you need you need to pad it out a little bit to, to make seventy minutes. So, and every time I've rewatched it, I'm, there's so many scenarios in my head. Like, why didn't they try do a little with this? Why didn't they just try to pad the actual source material itself out a little more? Why not try this? Why not try this? But um, interesting enough, when I was rewatching it for this show, for your recording, is that uh, this is probably the first time in a while I've watched the first half hour of this. And I can, I guess in a kind of way, it's my opinion on it has tweaked just slightly because I can see what they're trying to do with Paris, France here with uh, his relation to Batgirls. They're trying to set up almost like a joker for her to have a guy who's fearless to not afraid oh, Batman says he's not afraid of you he thinks this is a game so they're trying to find a good comparison to make that analogy Batman and Joker to Paris France and Batgirl mm-hmm. so I so I guess I can see in that set okay I can see what they're trying to go for but I think it really fell flat especially with Backer on Batman doing it on the roof. It's there, there, there could have been so many different ways they could have approached this. But uh, I can admit, when I first saw the opening scene in the theater with uh, uh, Tara Strong's narration, this probably isn't how you expected the story to begin. That got a chuckle out of me. I can honestly admit that in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, she was, she was right. Um, yeah. I, to comment on, on what you're saying with Paris France and all that, all that good stuff. I was not upset that they did that. Like I actually find the, the dynamic between uh Batgirl and, and this, this villain kind of interesting. The problem I have is I don't think it fits with this story. 
it's like it's just a it's like a it's jarring like it doesn't belong here is the issue if they did a dc animated short of of batman of batgirl just to look like a, a batgirl side story taking on this villain paris france i actually think i would have received this a lot better but being just kind of shoved at the beginning of of the killing joke it's it doesn't make sense so i got that's that's where i stand on that like if they took out the batman and batgirl sex scene i would actually enjoy that part of the movie as a short i don't i don't know what you guys feel about that but joe God. let me uh let me get to you before <laughs> before i tangent so well i'm very <laughs> curious how i would have reacted to this film if i didn't know that scene was coming like if i just went it because when this was announced i was so excited about the batgirl prologue because Batgirl is so obviously she's vital to the story of the killing joke, but she's just there, I guess, for lack of a better term, to be fridged, you know, like she's not killed, but it's their version of her being fridged in this story. And so I, I was looking forward to her getting some, some screen time in the beginning of the film. And to your point, Eric, yeah, like it's an intriguing, um, plot for her to deal with what bothers me about the plot is that everything is over sexualized mm-hmm. and i haven't i don't think i even noticed it the first couple of times i watched it but i watched this about a month ago for the first time in a long time and i watched it again today and wow like everything is just about the guy being totally infatuated with her in the creepiest way possible I mean, just stupid stuff where, like, I guess they're prostitutes that he invites onto the boat and he makes her wear a Batgirl mask. Like, there's a lot of weird stuff in this movie. And, mm-hmm. yes, there is the sexual reference. I mean, the the obvious implications of Joker sexually assaulting Batgirl. I don't even think that's sexually assaulting is is not even hinted at. That's pretty blatant. Um, if he goes beyond that, is whatever but i guess they took that and said let's make this all about sex and that's i think what bothers me because you didn't have to make batgirl and batman have that um that what's the way to to put that 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 tension like it just comes out of nowhere to me but it's it doesn't come out of nowhere in the in the movie because in batgirl's monologues and her conversations with her friend it's hinted at but like it's just hinted at in a weird way like very they want her to come off as this young girl who has this childlike infatuation with batman and it's almost like they're trying to parallel that with the creepy villain but Mm -hmm it's really just done in a really awkward way that just honestly, it even makes me uncomfortable talking about it. Cause it's so weird. And I guess even with the story of the killing joke, which is obviously a very racy story to begin with. And what Joker does to Batgirl is just completely. It's, it's disgusting you know, just to say it mildly, 
but I always felt like Joker is a, and this might be completely off the rails for me to say this, but I always looked at the Joker as more of an asexual person. And he's doing this just to make it look like he's doing it this way. Where I feel like they took that and said no. Like they even add that one spot. And this is more getting into the differences between this and the book. But they even add the one scene where Batman's investigating the, I guess they're the prostitutes again in this part of the story. About Joker coming around when he gets out. Do you remember that scene? Mm, and Yes. That like out of nowhere, like where does that scene come from? Like what what is the point of that scene? Again, they were just they were adding to these sexual references throughout the whole movie, and it just it was really weird to me. That whole thing was just odd. There there is a panel in the book where it appears that Batman is interrogating some uh, prostitutes, but it's it's not done quite to the context that it is in the animated film. It's just just a quick shot of him with what appeared to be prostitutes, no dialogue or anything. Okay. Well, yeah. Cause I don't even remember that. Yeah. I, and I also bring up, um, you, you have to remember that Brian Azzarello wrote the movie mm-hmm. and Brian Azzarello has a history of sexualizing the Joker. So, I mean, if you, yeah, that's true. If, I mean, if you read the Joker graphic novel written yeah. by him, I mean, it's, it's there. So that, that kind of makes sense. And also, I mean, Bruce, Tim, as much as I love Bruce Tim and everything that he's done for Batman, no one's perfect. And he's always had this flaw of this obsession with wanting to put Bruce Wayne and Barbara Gordon together for some reason. And it's, it's yeah. weird. And it's creepy. And I don't like it. Yeah. So, and that's the thing. Like I, I can forgive the Joker stuff because whatever, he's the villain. I don't care what the Joker's mm-hmm. doing, but the Batgirl Batman there was no setup for it. Like there's, there's comics precedence for it in the Batman beyond titles written by Kyle Higgins. Um, there's definitely hints at it in the Tim verse, but it's done in a better way. This was just very childish to me. And mm-hmm. I don't know if they were trying to like give Barbara that childlike innocence, which I'm okay with. Like, I don't even mind it from Barbara's perspective. I think it's as a Batman fan, you're like, dude, what are you doing? Like, and they make Batman look older in this, which makes it even more creepy. <laughs> yes. Well, and that's, uh, I think that's the biggest issue I have, because like I said, I could have taken this whole prologue as a, you know, DC animated short about Batgirl. And even with the, because I kind of see what they were trying to do with uh, kind of like Jared said a few minutes ago, that juxtaposition of the Joker almost has this kind of pseudo-sexual obsession with Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been represented a lot over the years. And I think they were kind of trying to do that with Paris France with Batgirl. Yes. And I, I can honestly almost see that because a sleazy criminal taking on a superhero like Batgirl probably would do things like that and act that way. Uh, just because just they're they're scuzzy. They're criminals. They're, you know, yeah. so I could almost handle that again as a side story because it doesn't belong with this story, but it's the, it's the weird forced relationship between uh, Batman and Batgirl that I, I just can't forgive. 
Well, to your point earlier about how you say it doesn't fit, it was almost like they felt the only way to make that prologue fit with the story of the killing joke was to have that sexual through line. Mm-hmm. Like the sexual relationship through line to them was the theme throughout this film. And it just wasn't done in a in a great way because nobody I don't want to say nobody wanted that, but I, I sure as heck didn't want it. And I again I would have been fine with it. I would have been fine with that sexual awkwardness between the creepy guy and Batgirl. And even if Batgirl had this weird awkwardness with Batman without going through without Batman, I guess, going through with it. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's such a weird conversation to even have. Like, I feel like we're talking about fan fiction <laughs> for sure. You know, but yeah, not a good fan fiction. <laughs> no, but um, we could, we could sit here and beat up on, on yeah. the prologue all night. Um, but I actually, I do want to talk about uh, some positives, but before we get there, I want to talk about another controversial part of the movie that I've heard a lot of people give gripe to. And that is um, this idea that maybe Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy weren't all in on this movie and maybe they phoned in their performances. I've heard that a lot. And I wanted to get you guys' perspective on the performances of the two titular characters here, Mark Hamill as the Joker and Kevin Conroy as Batman. Jared? Well, my opinion might come off as a little biased because uh, while Batman is my favorite hero of all time, the Joker is my favorite comic book villain of all time. And with with Mark Hamill being my favorite portrayal of the Joker, I'm going to be very biased and say I thought he did an excellent job with it. Like, I... I see no difference between his performance as Joker in Batman the Animated Series or in the Arkham games. It it seems like the same Mark Hamill is coming to play. And like you said, uh, they wanted this to be their swan song. And I think, if I heard correctly, uh, he said on Fatman on Batman, it's like if he'd come out and did Joker again, it wanted to be this. He wants to do the killing joke. And I highly doubt he would blow an opportunity to do something he's wanted to do so badly Mm -hmm. and and i can very much hear uh kevin conroy's batman the animated series in this bat in this batman 2 i don't know maybe it's just the dialogue if uh how it comes off but it i don't really it doesn't to me it doesn't feel like they're phoning it in at all yeah i Mm. i agree with you i completely agree with you and i I haven't heard much about that with Mark Hamill. Um, I think, like you said, Mark Hamill brings his A game. He's always the Joker. And I think the Joker isn't, I don't mean easier as an easier character to perform. I mean, easier to just be the same Joker in every story. Like, I, I don't feel like he needs to change much. Where Conroy went for a different, take i think in this film than he would have in the animated series because it kind of calls for a different take batman Mm -hmm. in this film cannot and should not be exactly how he is in the animated series and that's where as much as i love mark hamill and kevin conroy i think the people that are always looking for them to be these characters i think it's 
it's kind of unfair to them and to the characters because sometimes different stories call for different performances. And as much as I think this, I think this story does warrant Mark Hamill. Like I, I think Mark Hamill did a great job with this, but I don't think it did anyone any favors to have Kevin Conroy as much as I do think he's doing a good job. I think people just, didn't want to accept that he was going for something different in this story. And they took it as him phoning it in where I don't really believe that. It's kind of like a lot of people think Val Kilmer phoned it in in Batman Forever. Well, he was just kind of going for something. Maybe he was phoning it in and maybe that's a completely horrible comparison if you don't like that performance. But sometimes they're just going for something different and it just doesn't work. And that's kind of how I took it. I I don't, I would never accuse someone like Kevin Conroy to phone something in like this, especially knowing that he's doing it with Mark Hamill. Like there's such a, a great history with the two of them and, you know, the love for this story. I would highly doubt that they would intentionally phone this in. Well, and to, to discuss your point there, um, I agree with you. I don't think necessarily I, I absolutely believe that Mark Hamill was a necessity for this film. I don't know if Kevin Connery Conroy was, but for this film, I don't think you get Hamill without Conroy. No, I, I agree with that. You can't have one without the other. I don't I think no. in most cases you can't have one without the other. I think they kind of have to go together, but I think it is sometimes kind of a detriment to the story that they're trying to tell because you can't you have to be willing to accept that their performances have to be a little bit different especially conroy's yeah i agree and i think i and just to to weigh my opinion in on it of the problems that i have with this film the performances of kevin conroy and mark hamill have never been issues i've had i actually really like the subtlety that kevin conroy brought to this particular performance because i mean if you read the source material first of all there's not a lot of dialogue for batman mm. in the book or in the movie and the dialogue that you do get especially towards the beginning um batman is very contemplative here he's not the the growling aggressive batman that you i think a lot of people have come to associate with Conroy, especially because of the Arkham games. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, he's almost always growling and, and that very intense voice in our most recent um, knowledge of him in the, in the role, and that was the Arkham games. Yeah. So I, here, you're talking about a Batman who is at the breaking point and is considering breaking the only rule he has and straight up murdering Joker because he thinks he has no other avenue left. So I actually really enjoy the the subtlety and the the contemplative nature that Conroy brought to the role here. I, it doesn't work for a lot of people, but for me, it, it really works. And again, I mean, I know a lot of people say this about any comic, but now when I read The Killing Joke, those are the two voices I hear. So yeah, for me, it absolutely works. It's almost like he took... Uh... If this is not sacrilege, it's almost like he took a Ben Affleck approach in uh, BVS. How this is uh, the Batman and the Killing Joke now has been around for a while, 
as he says in the film to Batgirl about you haven't reached the abyss. This is the Batman that has been around. He has been to that abyss where there's no turning back for him. So it's not going to be, I don't want to say like bright and cheery like he's in the Batman, the animated series, but it's a more grizzled take. So imagine the Batman he did in Batman, the animated series, and it's, it got the Ben Affleck treatment from BVS, how he's been around. He has seen some stuff mm-hmm. and he, like he, this is the Batman that has dove in that abyss. And there's no turning back. Uh, what do they say in the, the extended cut of uh, BVS uh, that he's, he's angry. That man mm-hmm. says to uh, Clark, this is what this Batman is. And it is a different Batman approach for him. I think he's, He's still like Kevin Connor has always done like a very stoic uh Batman, but this is one that has been around too long. He has seen too much stuff, and now it's the point where something needs to give for him. So I think in an attempt to try something new, I think he did fairly well. Like like before you mentioned it tonight, I really never heard any complaints about the performances of either one of them. Oh yeah, I've I've seen a lot of it. And, and yeah, to clarify, to, I I don't have a problem with the performance. I was more just being devil's advocate towards how a lot of people do interpret it, interpret that um, performance. Because I I think he does do a great job of being subtle. He has to change up his performance for this film, and mm-hmm. he did. And I I don't take it as him film phoning in it at all. Well, yeah, and um, actually to your point, Joe, and and not to not to argue with you, Jared, but I I actually see the parallel with with Val Kilmer even more than I do Ben Affleck because I Kilmer catches a lot of of crap about um how he may have again phoned in his role in Batman Forever but I see this in in a similar fashion because I think he's he is a much more stoic Batman at this point I mean it and it's crazy to say more stoic than Batman normally is but yeah, it's it's just a point in their in their career as Batman where they are in these in these individual um, places in these stories that I think warrant the performances that were given. But anyway, uh, moving on, we've we've kind of we've kind of discussed the prologue. We're not going to beat up on that anymore. Um, I I want to get you guys' thoughts. The actual meat of the movie, what we all wanted to see, the adaptation of the Killing Joke. What did you guys think of film versus source material? We'll start with Joe this time. What did you think? Honestly, once it got to that part, when I first saw it, I was in. Um, I don't hold this book to the highest of regards as obviously as Jared does. But um, I mean, it's it's not a book I dislike by any means. I really do like this book, but not as... Like, it's not my favorite Batman Joker story. I I think it's a very interesting dynamic for the two of them as, like, like we've been discussing this whole time. Uh, Batman just at his complete end with dealing with the Joker at this point. And so when it got to this part of the of the movie, though, I, I was fully invested. I I I've heard criticisms of the animation. Um, it obviously is not. um uh was it dave gibbons uh uh brian boland oh brian boland geez dave gibbons is watchman my bad um <laughs> um it's obviously not brian boland 
but mm-hmm. it um it to me it works for the film so i'm not going to hold it against them that they did something different but i i really do enjoy the adaptation and like jared said earlier i will put this on and just watch the the adaptation part i i just watched the the prologue for the first time and i can't even tell you how long uh the last last month or two um but this adaptation i will watch i will put this on i enjoy it when i watched it in the theater i had a blast with it which is kind of a weird thing to say with a story that you should not be having a blast with but i think hamill his performance the whole time they're at the carnival is just insanity from start to finish and i think when you watch that part how anyone could think he's phoning it in is beyond me because he he just he takes it and runs with it the whole the whole final um i guess you could say final act of the film if you could really cut this up into three acts but it's just yeah i i do really enjoy this as an adaptation i do nice and what about you jared film versus the book the source material what do you think i'm very much in the same boat as uh, Joe when it comes to this. Uh, the the artwork doesn't bother me as much because I I personally think much like Jim Lee's style or even Greg Capullo's style, it's gonna Brian Bowen's style is gonna be hard to match in this kind of format. But I don't mind it because you still it still feels like the Killing Joke, so it doesn't bother me as much. Um, I, I, I enjoy it. It's much like when I watch Hush for the first time. It's It doesn't match Jim Lee's style, but I, I live with it, and I, it doesn't bother me. But um, I, much like Joe said, I, I really, once this act starts, once the adaptation starts, that's when I'm more fully invested in it. And even I love some of the stuff they added to this section to pad it out too, like with uh, Bullock in the department, the police department finding the bodies in the storage unit, or even some of the extended stuff with uh, Batman taking on the sideshow at the carnival. That's so much. That's so beautiful to mm-hmm. watch, and even just the whole setting of Batman at the carnival looks great. And, um. Every time I've read the book, I've always wondered what that song would sound like. <laughs> the Joker sings while Gordon's on the uh, on the ride, and out. I honestly don't think it disappointed. I know Mark Hamill is not the best singer in the world; he's even admitted himself. But I have such a blast with that song that he's singing too. Well, it but sounds think... like the Joker would sound like when he's singing. I don't. I don't care how good or bad Mark Hamill is. You know, like that's. The Joker's yeah. not a professional singer, so I was, it I was like about it to sound. say it, it. It actually works better that he's not a great singer. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you want something that's a perfect singer, you bring in the music meister to fight Batman, not <laughs> not the Joker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. Once the adaptation starts, I'm fully invested, and I'm my attention. My I'm, I'm not playing with my phone. I'm not. Paying attention to my cats, my eyes are locked on the screen, and I'm soaking in every single scene because, like, I love even the style of the flashbacks fits in nicely. Um, yeah, the whole adaptation fits great, and you know, if it's not skipping too far ahead, Eric, I apologize, but even you know, they had to end the whole film 
by doing straight adaptation because you know they had to get to that controversial ending. Oh yeah, and you, you free feel to I mean feel free to talk about it. You're good. Well, the whole the whole concept of the the controversial ending didn't even come on my radar until I heard Grant Morrison talk about it on Fat Man on Batman. But you know, once that got brought up in the zeitgeist of whether or not Batman does kill the Joker, they knew they were going to have to throw that ominous did he or didn't he at the end of this film Mm -hmm. and i think they handle it well they don't really give the the definite answer whether he did or did not but i do love how it ends on batman laughing like how it does in the book so yeah so i i'm i'm torn over whether i want to um discuss did he or didn't he with the movie or whether I want to save that for the actual um, episode where we cover the book. I am torn on that, but we can move on. (laughs) I'll think about that. But yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, with you guys. Um, The the actual straight up adaptation portion of this movie. I, I actually really, really like it. Um, I don't know if it comes quite, to loving it just because I, the whole, the whole prologue tainted it and it's hard to get past that. Even, even if you just pop it in and, and go straight to the adaptation portion, there's, you know, it's, it's like that, that beginning is still lingering there, but yes, uh, the, when it actually gets into the story of the killing joke, what we all came to see, I really enjoy it. And the, what you guys were talking about with the, with the art style, that is what really spooks me when they start doing these adaptations because I, me and Joe discussed um, the long Halloween and I'm so glad that they did not try to replicate the art style of Tim sale because if you nail it, you hit it out of the park like they did with the, with the dark Knight returns. But even that is not a perfect adaptation of the art of Frank Miller because actually I think it improves and I know this is this may be blasphemous, but I think the Dark Knight Returns, the films actually improve on the art style of, of Frank Miller. So if you can do that, great. But if you take a swing and miss, you're gonna get crucified for it. So did they did they miss completely here? I don't think so because when I see the Joker um, on screen, as the Joker in this movie, it looks like the killing joke Joker to me, or at least as close as they could possibly get. And that's, that's really all I can ask. And the, just the way that the story progresses through the adaptation portion is it's, it's almost perfect. It's just, it gives me those vibes that I get when I read the book and Joe, I'm with you. This I don't hold this book in the high esteem that some people do. It's a great, it's a great story, but I don't know if it's in that upper echelon of stories that, that, that some people put it in. And Jared, I'm, I'm very sorry. Cause I know this is, <laughs> this is a really near and dear book to you. Um, Why is everybody against me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm certainly not. I do think I do respect this, this book's place in, in Batman history. And I understand why it is there um and i i really do enjoy the book but it's it's just not it's not the dark knight returns for me it's not the court of owls 
but it is a very iconic, very important Batman story. And for me, yeah, the the adaptation portion, they they got that part right. I just don't understand why they had to do all the other stuff that they did. And to add on to to what you said, Jared, about the um the little parts that they expanded, like the part with Bullock and the and the um the fighting with the carnival freaks. I really enjoy that expansion because I feel like unlike the prologue, that's a natural expansion. I feel like this would have been much more successful if they'd have done more of that and less of the prologue. Yeah. Well, now I, I was watching it today uh, when he gets to the part where he, where he assumes he's talking to the Joker in the cell and he goes, I've been doing some thinking lately. And he comes to this conclusion that it has to, that this is how this is going to end. Like it would have been nice to see, Maybe a little backstory into that. Like, what is Batman? What has gotten him to think about why he needs to confront the Joker now, other than just showing up and seeing these bodies in the storage unit? Because it just cuts from Barbara not handing over the suit to Bruce going to check out this in the scene with Bullock. So, yeah, maybe a little padding in that area would have been a nice little filler instead of the prologue that we got like just take moments little moments like that and expand upon it from there maybe a little yeah, more of the flashbacks jarring, or something it's a jarring transition to go from the whole thing with batgirl to then right to and they kind of make it so it's like a part one part two where they go right into the graphic novel with the rain and everything like that but yeah it would have mm-hmm. been nice to maybe start get rid of the prologue and maybe start with batman looking over case files looking over I mean, you could have just. Does this take place in the comics before, or after Jason's death? Let's see, after because it was like eighty-eight, eighty-nine. Like yeah, could have it's just, it's hard to say because when this came out, I mean, it wasn't really it wasn't considered. Canon. Yeah, it wasn't canon. So, which is so weird because I don't know what the story is behind. Batgirl really did retire in an issue a special issue right before this came out so like i don't know if that was like what were they planning on doing if this wasn't canon but Mm -hmm. it became canon it's it's very confusing and i wasn't you know obviously following comics back then so i don't know but it would have been really cool to just see like batman in the in the cave just talking to alfred looking at all the stuff that joker has done like like that's a great point jared like give us some context to why he just randomly goes to, to talk to him and maybe have him looking over the case file of the dentist that went missing. Like you, they obviously went out of their way to think of that backstory. So do more with that. Mm -hmm. And listen, I don't want to go into like, this is what they should have done because I'm not a writer or anything, but it just, the whole that jarring transition from the prologue to the to the story is what is the weakest part to this and it, it, it's unfortunate for me because i was really looking forward to i wanted to see a really cool batgirl story and i want i wanted to see batgirl kicking ass in the prologue mm-hmm. and they made it a sympathetic weird batgirl story as opposed to a a like a for you know just a kick-ass Batgirl story. I, like, I would have loved to have seen her kicking Killer Moth's ass or something. Like, But they had to go with that whole sexual undertone throughout the whole thing. And mm-hmm. I think that's what hurt them. Well, I mean, 
since you kind of brought that up and I, I don't I don't mind talking about the differences we'd like to see because one of the questions I did want to ask you guys is we know that with um, the death of Superman, DC animation had to take two cracks at that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Superman Doomsday did not work. And with this film, it unfortunately, it did not work. So starting with Joe, uh, it, would you like to see DC take another crack at this movie? Honestly, no. Um, okay. Because... I could just watch this from the 28 minute mark. And to me, it's fine. Um, I could pretend like the prologue didn't happen. I could pretend like they're two different movies. Um, I don't need another crack at it because I feel like another crack at it would be too similar to this anyway, unless they did like, like you said, just padded it throughout. But then Mm -hmm. I feel like just make a new story at that point. I, I don't, I don't need anything. I don't need a redo of this. I think we're good. I, I think the killing joke has been, um, you know, explored enough. Okay. What about you, Jared? If, uh, if you had your way, would you, would you like DC to take another crack at it? I don't know if I would or not. Cause it is my, it being my favorite story. I don't know because first of all, we live in a fantasy world where Warner Bros. would admit they did something wrong. Like they, <laughs> <laughs> but um i don't know and with the whole the issues that i have with the prologue it's not like it's anything new because we saw this whole sexual undertone with uh batman assault on arkham with uh harley and deadshot getting together and we see it again in batman and harley quinn with harley and nightwing so clearly bruce tim's got something on his brain here with all these superheroes well, it all, well, all over the place, all over Gotham City, apparently. Well, if you ever look at his Instagram page, he's Bruce Tim's a little racy sometimes. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I was almost before you guys started talking, I was almost leaning towards, uh, yeah, I, I would like to see him. I mean, not immediately, maybe years down the road. Um, maybe I would like to see him take another crack at it, but. Honestly, listening to to what Joe said, yeah, I, I I'm kind of in a, in agreement. I I don't think I want to see him try again. I think, actually, thinking about it now, I'd actually like to see him do something more along the lines of uh, trying to adapt Three Jokers or something like that. So yeah, um, yeah, I think the I think the best case scenario would just be to to take their lumps and and move on. Unfortunately, but. Anyway, uh, that's uh, that's kind of a, a five-year look at Batman The Killing Joke. Jared, um, out of ten Batarangs, what would you give Batman The Killing Joke? And let me, give me some final thoughts on the film. Well, let's see. Out of ten, like I said, I've said numerous times before in this episode i have a huge bias towards the story and the performances uh, but just that prologue really does it in for me most of the time mm-hmm. uh, i think i'm gonna give it maybe seven out of ten batarangs because being such a sucker for mark hamill in general not just as a joker 
but as the Joker makes it a huge plus for me, and seeing my favorite story come to life is what plays a huge part into my vote. Mm-hmm. Like with the problems with the prologue with standing, it's still a very faithful adaptation because not every not everything they've adapted has been faithful to the books like hush or even gotham by gaslight hasn't been 110 percent faithful adaptation and that's the grain of salt i take this with so they do succeed in padding out the actual story itself i i, I really wish that was something they could have done more of instead of what they gave us and the fact they don't they don't give us a definitive answer at the end also helps. I like that they kind of play into that. Did he? Didn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, so all that withstanding, I still give it a seven out of ten. It's it's watchable. It's at least the last half hour to forty minutes of it's very watchable. So I'm kind of sorry. I apologize. I'm kind of all over the place right now. Um, no, you're good. Yeah, I I give that seven out of ten just because it's it's got that. Uh, close place the story itself has that close place to my heart so that's going to keep me coming back to it more times than not as opposed to like a batman harley quinn which i want to watch on a whim whatever Mm -hmm. i haven't watched that in a while i'll throw that in or uh any other batman animated film by choice like even the cape crusader ones those are very enjoyable to watch but um yeah, the story, the 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 faithfulness to the story itself is what keeps bringing me back to it. So that's why I give it the score I give it. Nice. Well, I appreciate the positivity. Uh, we we needed a little bit of that. <laughs> well, <laughs> right. So, Joe, uh, what about you? Batarangs well, I, out of ten, and well, I, some. I, I'm sorry. I'm Go sorry. Ahead. No, no, no. I I'm sorry. <laughs> the um, I'm actually pleased that that's what he gave it because that's honestly what I was expecting him to give. Mm-hmm. Um, I was leaning at like a six, a six or a six and a half. I'll probably go six. I think the other thing that it lends is, um, if you cut out the prologue, it's a quick 40 minutes. So, you know, 40, 45 minutes to just watch a, like you said, a story that, that means a lot to you. That makes perfect sense to, to give it a seven. I, I'm, I'm at a six because I don't hold the story itself as a high regard, but I think like averaging the two stories together, that's where I come in at is a six because I don't hate all of the prologue, but I don't love it enough to really need to go back to it because there's just too much cringe in it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the sh- the movie itself, the adaptation itself, I, I do feel it is a fair adaptation. I, I would honestly give the adaptation itself if I could you know, throw a little wrench in here. I, I could probably give the adaptation itself a seven and a half, like just the adaptation. And then well, if you I can't gave... because that's cheating. <laughs> but that's, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I would come to my score is like a seven and a half for the adaptation. And then like a three and a half for the prologue. You kind of mm-hmm. average them together, but give a little bit more lean to the, to the adaptation. That's, that's where I'm at. I'll, I'll give it a six. Okay. Well, I would I would love to to do the the splitting it and 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 giving the the first part a score and the adaptation a score, but I have to look at this as as a whole film and it's I have to look at it as 
how likely am I to pull this off the shelf and watch it? And I'll be honest with you. Um, had we not been doing this episode, I don't know if I would have pulled it, pulled it off the shelf and watched it. It's, it's probably been since, hmm. I want to say it's probably been since 2016 that I watched this movie. So yeah, yeah. I just haven't, it's not one that, that I really just, it's not one that draws my attention when I, when I'm looking for a DC animated film to watch. And I think it's because of, of how I just didn't like that prologue. So I have to, like I said, I have to look at it as an entire film and as an entire film, I put it right in the middle of the road. I gave it a five batterings out of 10. And again, I I have actually, so now to preface, to go back to what I said about not watching the film since 2016, I have actually watched the adaptation portion on, I think I want to say YouTube since I've watched the whole movie in, in 2016, I have done that, but I have, I, since it came out, I have not just popped it in and watched the whole thing until um, last week when I watched it to refresh refresh my memory for for the podcast. So yeah, for me, it's unfortunate because it's such an iconic story, but it's it's just middle of the road for me. It's it's just okay. So five out of ten batterings for me. But there you go, guys. That is our look at five years of Batman: The Killing Joke. But before we wrap it up, um, we actually I've, – I've told you guys that if you leave uh, reviews on Apple Podcasts or if you um, send us emails that I will read them on the show. And we do have a new Apple Podcast review. So I'm going to read that for you. This uh, um, It is titled Not Everything, Not Yet, and it is from Matt Malecki19. And the review says, looking for a fresh Batman podcast from passionate fans that cover all aspects of Batman's mythology? Look no further. Eric and his guests cover topics that span the breadth of the Batman mythos. Whatever version of Batman is your favorite, they've got you covered. As Batman says in BBS, I don't deserve you, Alfred. Well, we don't deserve such a great podcast, but we get to anyway. Enjoy, Matt Malecki. I have, I've heard of that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's a good guy. He is a good guy. He's a keeper. But Matt, yeah, Matt, thank you so much for that review. We we appreciate it so much, and it, and it was a five star review. So thank you so much for that. And yeah, um, I like that that he he mentioned passionate fans because that that's something that we actually I, I strive to bring passionate fans on to to the show, and that's uh that's evidence today because I, I do think Jared is a is a passionate Batman fan so Jared thank you so much for coming on the show I really appreciate it and I promise we will get get you back on to uh, be more pa- more positive with the killing joke in the future <laughs> well once again thank you for having me and I want to let you guys both know you're both welcome on my show anytime awesome yeah yeah we're gonna have to make thank that you. happen but uh Jared speaking of your show, Tell us about your show. Where can we find it? And uh, where can we find you online? Well, I co-host a uh, show called the Nerd United Nations Podcast. It's kind of a mouthful. Uh, Nerd United <laughs> Nations Podcast, where me and my best friend co-host Melissa just talk about anything nerdy, uh, whether it be comics, movies, TV shows, video games, you name it. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, uh, Facebook 
uh, Twitter, Instagram at Nerd United Nations Podcast, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, and our home on Podbean. And uh, if you want to follow me personally, you want to see pictures of my giant bushy Alan Moore leg beard or pictures of my cats, uh, you can find me at QCA Mr. J on both Twitter and Instagram. Well, yeah, it, it is a fantastic beard. So go check that out. <laughs> All right. What about you, Joe? Where can where can the folks find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jforn11, and uh, I'm sure I'll be uh, sure I'll be hanging around this podcast for a while. You can catch me on here. Yes, and uh, you just gave some really good inspirational uh, picks on the 100th episode of Superhero Stress. So go check that out too. Yes, thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, um, congratulations to our friend Phil Barker, Philip Barker, for doing his hundredth uh, episode of Superhero Stress. That was a lot of fun to be on, and uh, it's uh, yeah, we'll we'll definitely be back on there too. Yeah, for I, sure. I agree. Both of you had great picks actually on that episode. Oh, well, thank you very much. Thank you. But if you'd uh, again, if you'd like to find the show, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at tfrbatpod. Um, and again, if you'd like to send us an email, that's tfrbatpod at gmail.com. If you take a few seconds out of your day to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, we certainly appreciate it. It really helps out the show. And if you leave us an email or or a review, just like we did today, we will read it on the show. Um, I can be found personally on Instagram, Twitter, and Vero at mecarter89. That's M-E-Carter89. Thank you guys for joining us for a look back at Batman, The Killing Joke, the animated film from 2016. And until next time, as the Joker says, all it takes is one bad day. Batman was created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast, is in no way associated with AT&T, Warner Brothers, or DC Comics. The thoughts and opinions expressed by the participants are solely theirs and do not represent the companies that they work for. Thank you for listening. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want either of us to end up killing the other. But we're running out of alternatives. Perhaps it all hinges on tonight. I don't know what it was that bent your life out of shape, but maybe I've been there too. Maybe we could work together. I could rehabilitate you. You don't need to be alone. We don't have to kill each other. Let me help you. I'm sorry, but no. No, it's far too late for that. <laughs> you know, it's funny. This reminds me of a joke. See, there were two guys locked in a lunatic asylum. And one night, one night they decided they didn't like that anymore. They decided to escape. So they made it up to the roof, and there, just across this narrow gap, they see rooftops stretching across town, stretching to freedom. 
Now, the first guy, he jumps right across no problem, but his friend, oh, no way. He's afraid of falling. So the first guy, he has an idea. He says, hey, I got this flashlight with me. I'll shine it across the gap between the buildings, and you can walk across the beam and join me. But the second guy says, what do you think I am, crazy? You just turn it off when I'm halfway across. <laughs> oh, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> Ha 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 